just said the operative word, I think, or operative words, which are strap in uh, for for the next few months of life. Uh, it's just what a time. Uh, can can you can you start us off by articulating just how apocalyptic your Saturday morning was? My Saturday morning. Was that, or was that you your mean, Sunday morning? That was my Sunday morning. Okay. The Sunday morning. So, um, for those of you who don't know, I'm gonna try and paint the picture here. I have a really old car. It's a classic. Oh, it's a I 19- forgot about this angle. Yeah, it's, it's a 1994 Mini Cooper, and it's uh, it's it's a true British Mini Cooper. Um, maybe we could link a, a picture in the in the podcast description. But it's a right-handed drive vehicle. Anyway, oh so and it's a tiny little car. It's a bandbox. The seatbelts don't work. There's no airbags. Like if I got in a, a wreck, it probably probably wouldn't be too good. So I only I, I try not to drive around too much, and it's really a good car for like w- my purposes, which are basically just going through the city at like 25, 30, 35 miles an hour. But as you know, as we've talked about in the podcasts um, before, I'm now doing this sauce program where I'm delivering sauces on Sundays if somebody orders over $100 worth of sauce. Now, there was a glitch in our system that we have since cleaned up, but somehow it allowed somebody in Bainbridge Island, all the way out in Bainbridge Island, the land of Alex Riquet, um, to order sauces to be hand-delivered. And I couldn't, unfortunately, it was too late. I couldn't be like, hey, I'm sorry, I can't do this. So I just had to, you know, sort of suck it up and go to Bainbridge Island to deliver, you know, $250 worth of sauce to this guy. And I'm driving around and I'm just thinking to myself, what am I doing with my life? in this 1994 Mini Cooper in the middle of a pandemic with smoke just raining down on me, delivering sauces to Bainbridge Island. <laughs> yeah, as the, the sky is is blood orange um, and it looks like we've had 4th of July every day for the last six months in Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, up and down the West Coast <laughs> to be delivering pizza yeah. sauces, pasta sauce. Um, which was never the plan in the first place, right? This is not a, a part of your regular business operation. No, I mean, this is simply just an extra arm of revenue to try and get us through this time. I will say this, though. it was It's quite surprising. Um, there are people still who are asking to sit out on our patio. We're obviously not setting the patio um, until there is a request to sit out there. Then we'll set the each table one by one instead of just doing the whole thing at the beginning of the night. But we are having, I would say, you know, anywhere from 10 to 15 people a night who want to sit out on that patio. So they're, uh, you know, one guy straight up said, I'd rather breathe in a little smoke than a little COVID. And I think that was a uh, very appropriate way to describe dining out in uh, in the last uh, year or so. Yeah, shit is wild um, in, in our world, Phil, and, and for your world especially. Um, but uh, hopefully the sauce program becomes a staple part of, of your business going forward. It sounds like. Yeah, that's the hope, I think. Um, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. And I think maybe this could be something that sticks around even when things go back to normal, whenever that may be. Uh, real quick, before we get into baseball, I need to ask your opinion on one thing. Yes, I was going to make a joke real quick, though, about how, how um, heteronormative is, it is of you to want to spread your sauce across the world, but <laughs> I won't make that joke. Um, well, I have one question. Have you seen, and this is something that I haven't even talked to you about off-air yet, have you seen the controversy surrounding the new Netflix movie called Cuties? Are these the babies? These are like the eleven-year-old kids who are like. I, I have you heard about this? To the extent I've I've, I've heard about this, to the extent that I've seen a tweet that said, "Is is cuties child pornography?" And and, and it is it is. I've, I haven't seen the movie, but you know there have been YouTubers that have been showing clips, and it's just I, these people should all be put on a list. It is disgusting. Anyway, I know this isn't baseball, but this is something that I just wanted to get your take on. How is this allowed to be on a mainstream uh, streaming outlet? I will have to do some some Googling about cuties. Perhaps uh, when I get you talking about Dylan Moore, um, that can give me enough time. To, to yeah, well, he, he is a cutie himself, but at least he's of age. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, um, 
Hopefully, just Googling that didn't put me on some sort of list. Oh, I'm sure I'm on every list now from, like, doing the research on this thing. Are you a YouTube guy? Is that, is that your, your main outlet? No, I would say, honestly, and this is actually a good way to segue into baseball. I, I, I think Reddit is, like, super flawed in terms of, like, uh, the way that, like, content gets aggregated. But if you go into, like, smaller subreddits, like the Mariners subreddit or, like, the baseball subreddit, you get, like, a lot – that's where I've learned a lot of these sort of, like, you know, things that used to be on the fringes and now have started coming into the mainstream in baseball. Like, uh, I remember the first time I heard about FIP and, like, XWOBA and all those things. It was always on Reddit first because you have all these guys and girls who are, like, coming from all different backgrounds. You have physicists in the baseball subreddit. You have statisticians in the baseball subreddit. So it's a really good source of – of information because you're getting a lot of different perspectives instead of just like, let's say reading the athletic where it's just, a and, and I love the athletic it's good quality writing, but they're all just baseball guys. They're all baseball writers. Whereas with like subreddits, you can get a lot of different people with a lot of different perspectives. Yeah. The, the it's, it's once, once you realize that um, the smartest people in a field are hidden and not the people that you see on TV or, or maybe even read in the Seattle times or, or, you know, broader than that. It's uh, it's pretty enlightening. Um, but, uh, but yeah, most of the coverage that, that we consume and I consume is, is uh, from normies and you know, that you just get a lot of the same stuff. Um, and it's, you know, the normie stuff is definitely not what teams are using to make high level decisions. So no, I don't think the Mariners really care all that much what Ryan Divish or Shannon Dreyer have to say about, you know, certain players. I think they care more about like, did you see the Mariners drafted a guy in like the 36th round out of MIT just so they could put him in their analytics department? I thought that was very smart. I think like those types of moves are the things that you need to be doing. Yeah. Those, that's, uh, those are like the, the moves that we don't necessarily hear about, but we will talk uh, here about some of the moves or the, the most recent move that the Mariners made um, before the trade deadline and the early returns on guys uh, to kick this off, we'll start with Ty France, who uh, has put up really good numbers in the 14 or so games um, since he has has uh, joined the Mariners. WRC plus of a buck 64, uh, OPS touching a thousand against righties. Uh, 27 plate appearances. That WRC plus bumps up to 251. OPS of yeah. 128. Uh, don't ask about lefties, but uh, it's good to see him be billed as an elite hitter uh, or someone who has promised to be an elite hitter and then immediately start doing it once he changes the uniforms. Yeah, that uh, that weird platoon split, I don't think that's going to last be- unless he's one of those guys who it is rare, but it does happen that have reverse platoon splits. You know, he's a righty mm-hmm. who's hitting righties really well right now, and maybe he's not hitting lefties so well. So I would imagine... Um, all things considered, it's just a, one of those uh, statistical sample size quirks, and I think that's going to probably correct itself as he gets more at-bats um, on the team. Uh, but I do just want to mention, again, the reason that Ty France, Torrens, Munoz, and uh, Tramiel are all on the team is because of Austin Nola. We were just talking about um, the sort of MIT, the analytics guys, they picked, and we're going to get to Dylan more later, but that crop, the 2018-19 crop of undrafted uh, or draft uh, guys that they signed who were uh, free ag- minor league free agents included Dylan Moore, Austin Nola, uh, Lopes, Tim Lopes, and uh, Zach Gratz. In any sort of uh, minor league free agent draft, getting – or not draft, excuse me, minor league free agent um, signing, getting even one of those four guys would be considered a huge success. But for their, them to be able to go out and identify getting all four of those guys kind of jumpstart, jumpstarted this whole process of building towards the future that we're now seeing pay dividends. Wasn't Brennan Brennan in that as well? Yeah, well, Brennan was the Rule 5 pick that year. So, yeah, again, another place where they found talent from an unlikely – source and we saw him go to the well again this year with Johan Ramirez from the Astros and uh that I mean if you can turn Johan Ramirez into a back-end uh reliever which it looks like he's on course to do as long as he can clean up a few things uh because the the cape the the strikeouts per nine is very real unfortunately the base on balls per nine is very real as well but he just doesn't get hit 
he doesn't get hit hard at all. Uh, his, you know, the expected weighted on base average against Johan Ramirez is a, you know, 99th percentile in the MLB. So he has the makings and the stuff of a back end guy. And you can either keep that if you're competitive or again, flip that for real value that you don't necessarily always get in a rule five draft. So it's, it's really cool to see them turning into a little bit of a factory in, in terms of finding talent in unconventional places like that. Mm, yeah. This, uh, it took us all 10 minutes and 30 seconds to talk about, uh, the wheelhouse. It usually takes a little bit longer than that, but, uh, yeah. one of the more recent episodes, Jerry DePoto and, and Aaron Goldsmith were talking about how, um, the Los Angeles Dodgers are kind of, uh, you know, seemingly a franchise that would, be able to woo free agents and make big splashy things because they have so much money and, and so much resources available to them. Uh, but their big success has really come in the way of finding guys like, you know, Max Muncy and uh, Chris Taylor and developing talent that way, you know, turning, turning rocks over, turning stones over and finding gems. And the Mariners are starting to do that. Um, and Ty France is not necessarily that guy, but the idea being that, Austin Nola was that guy and you could Mm -hmm. for uh for more valuable stuff down the road and and you know even though some of these things didn't work out I mean you you got Tim Beckham who if everyone remembers correctly Tim Beckham last year through the first probably 30 35 40 games looked like yeah he looked like he was going to be another one of those guys of course he didn't work out Ryan Healy looked like he had the potential to be one of those guys who could unlock himself with a, a small swing change uh Narvaez looked like he was going to be one of those guys if he could you know clean up the defense a little bit so with the Mariners and of course they just keep churning and churning and churning and they're throwing all these players against the wall and eventually they've gotten four or five of them to stick which is a huge hit rate I mean of course Narvaez didn't stick uh Beckham didn't stick Healy didn't stick you know there's been a thousand others who haven't stuck but they have been finding those guys and when you find one that sticks it is unbelievably valuable to your club because you really only need 25 guys you know so you can churn through a hundred of them if 25 of them stick you got a good club uh another guy that, that came back in the nola deal was Luis torrens who has been the mariners everyday catcher since the nola trade uh has put a nice wrc plus together uh, a buck 17 since joining the mariners his 63.6% uh, contact for hard, or hard hit rate, um, mm-hmm. balls that are 95 plus on exit velocity. Uh, if he qualified and kept that up, which un- unlikely, but you know, a small sample, take take what, what you can from it, uh, would be second in the majors behind Fernando Tatis Jr. right now. So he is hitting the ball hard. I like what I've seen. He's he's got some nice extra base hits. Um, and you know the, the the pitch framing stuff. Baseball savant doesn't love it uh, to start from this year, but curious what you have to to say about his defense so far from what you've seen. Honestly, I would throw the defense out at at this point this year. He's getting um, sort of acclimated to an entirely new staff that have all these different intricacies. And the, here's the thing about the Mariners, and the Mariners were one of the early adopters with this when it came to catching. If you notice all the Mariners catchers, Tom Murphy did it, Austin Nola did it, they're now teaching Terenz to do it, but they all sit on one knee when they catch the ball. And there's a reason for that. It's not that they're lazy and they don't like to crouch. It's the Mariners teach their guys to work bottom up to the zone. They think the Mariners do with the way their pitching staff is assembled with guys like Sheffield who wants to pitch low in the zone, Marco who likes to pitch low in the zone, Kikuchi who likes to pitch low in the zone, who will go and elevate the fastball every once in a while, but more more so he likes to pitch low in the zone. They're really trying to put an added emphasis on on framing those low pitches and working them up back into the zone. Austin Nola was really good at it. So when they put these guys on one knee and they set the target far below the bottom of the strike zone, they have the guys move their glove up to catch the ball, which gives the the illusion, so to speak, to the umpire that the ball was higher in the zone than it really was. So the Mariners really put an added emphasis on framing the ball low in the zone. So they're they're throwing a whole new thing at Torrens. I looked at footage of him when he was catching with the Padres. He was a traditional crouch guy, and through the first you know ten games we've seen of him with the Mariners, he he's on his uh, knee too. So I'm I'm gonna give him you know at least six months to another probably full year before I make any sort of definitive uh, assessments on his pitch framing. 
the arm is very good. I mean, that that's something that you can't really coach up. You know, you either have a good arm or you don't. So I, I think I think we'll have to wait and see on what we really do have with Torrens on the defensive side. One thing that's evident about Torrens, uh, the mustache game, very strong. I think he looks uh, very similar to the, the guy in Narcos um, and also the Mandalorian. I, I, I don't know that actor's name. but uh, that's, Yeah, I've seen him compared to the guy. I don't watch this show, but the Game of Thrones guy, Jon Snow. Uh, I'd have to see him grow out the, grow out the lettuce a little bit. To, to... Yeah, I don't. I, again, I don't even know who that is, but everyone just makes that joke on Twitter. I think under, for most people to say I, I don't watch that show, I would have reacted differently. But you're Phil. Um, <laughs> I just, I just roll, roll that stuff off. Um, all right. So, the, uh, real quick, the other thing about Torrens though is I, we, we did, we did mention it in the last podcast. Uh, you're seeing a guy. And you mentioned it. He's got a 63.6% hard hard hit rate. That's That looks like it's just going to be the Mariners' MO with hitters, the guys they type of favor. The guys maybe not like Judge or Stanton who can hit the ball 120 miles an hour, but they want the guys who can consistently make the most out of whatever power they have. Because I think if I was to try and get in the Mariners' analytics guys' heads, what I would imagine is they believe – that this sort of raw power, the Miguel Sano, John Carlos Stanton mold of like, you can hit the ball 125 miles an hour is becoming a little bit overvalued in baseball. And they're trying to take advantage of the guys who maybe don't have that huge max exit below, but they, ha- they know how to get the bat to the, or the ball to the barrel of the bat. And, and that's a valuable skill set of itself. Mm-hmm. And, and more of almost the athletic type, hit it to a corner, hit it hard, turn, <laughs> turn singles into doubles, doubles into triples. Exactly. Yeah, it is. It is sort of your CD. The, the that type of DNA. Ty France doesn't necessarily hit, fit that athletic mold. He's you know he's a little shorter to the ground, but uh, but he does get the barrel to the ball exactly. for sure. And, and we'll yeah. talk about uh, Dylan Moore later, who is captain barrel uh, mm-hmm. as, as, through the season. But uh, the Mariners find themselves just a game and a half back. Obviously, uh, tonight's game or or the game that um, would have played been played the previous night. If you listen to this podcast, it'll come out on. Uh, on uh, September 16th are a game and a half back of the AL West wildcard spot, um, which of course is unique this year because this year uh, both the top two uh, finishers in every single division will make the playoffs. Um, so the question here is, are we in a playoff race or what? Like what, what, what is, what is the deal here? Well, you, you, yeah. You and I started this year not expecting anything out of this team in terms of wins and losses, not even really caring uh, what happened to this team in terms of wins and losses. Uh, but here we are in technically in a playoff race, but uh, wondering kind of where, like, what do you want with the Mariners right now? Do you want, well, do you want I, here's, here, here's my answer to that. Yeah. I, I don't think that the Mariners front office cares all that much about making the playoffs, which is very evident by putting, this uh, Jimmy Yacobonis followed by uh, Brady Lale followed by uh, Seth Frankoff out on the mound yesterday when it was, you know, if they really did care about the playoffs this year, they would have seen there's 16 games left to go. We're a game out of the playoffs. We have to, you know, either bring up Logan Gilbert, find something else. We have to do something, but you know, it seems like the Mariners front office is content with just letting it ride this season. They don't want to burn the service time on Gilbert. It's probably going to piss off fans and frustrate a lot of people. It, pr- to be quite honest with you, it, it frustrates me, but I do understand why they're doing it. So I don't know how excited we as a fan base should be about the prospect of, of, of playoffs if, if the front office is giving clear signals that they really don't care this year. Yeah, there's, there's a lot there. I think that the, the point of, of you know all of this for for – Depoto and, and this regime was to build a really strong team, um, you know, in, in next year and the years upcoming. And I just don't think that they see the actual goods of that type of team. This is this is kind of a, a, a playoff race by technicality only at this point. Right. Um, we have to remember we're still four games under five hundred. It's not like and granted we have been playing far, far, far better lately. I think we're what 13 and nine or 14 and nine in our last 25. So, or last 23, whatever it is. Uh, so we are playing quite a bit better, but it's still a team that's not there yet. Right. 
Right. And, and, and the point of, of a playoff race is to, you know, deliver to your fans. And obviously, yes, there's a ton of fans watching on, on roots every night. And, and that's, that's true. But if you're not actually delivering a product in T-Mobile park, there's, there's not really no reason to, to push it. Um, you know, make that Denard span type trade, uh, at the deadline to give you just a, you know, an extra win or two to, to, to get over. That was not the case this year, just by the fact that they traded Nola was kind of, was kind of right to see to see in that regard but granted the re- and then that's baseball for you the the record they've had without nola is better than the record they have with him is it doesn't mean that they're a better team without nola you know i at the beginning of of when that trade happened i would have said you know that's a trade for the future now i'm sort of looking at it and i'm thinking wow terrens might be real france is hitting really well it, did that trade I'd, I'd be curious to hear what your opinion is. did that trade even make us worse in the short run i i'm not so sure i don't think so either considering that there was an infield position of need um to to, to fill you know kyle seager uh missed the game so it was nice to have a guy like france there um he's you know with, with the, the the disappointment like dh was a whole regardless whether no one was or not. right and and so now getting france to fill in there just at that level i think if it you know, if you could find someone that's replacement value for for Nola plus France, um, at least offensively, you are in the exact same spot. Um, but but anyways, I think with 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 this playoff race, if you're looking at it out, out on face value, is this real? My first instinct was to look at Pythagorean wins uh, for the Mariners, which uh, they only have the Mariners as a game lower than they are, so they're 21 and 25 right now. Uh, Pythagorean wins have them at 20 or 20 20 and 26, so they're not. You know, like the, yeah, they're not like blowing out their expectations. Like they're right about where they should be. Exactly. And five yeah. losses uh, have come by eight or more runs, which is kind of a fluky thing that, that distorts their run differential. So right. You know that they're and that's a, and that's and that's again a small sample thing. Like that would correct itself over the course of the of a one sixty two, but we don't have one sixty two this year. So I think it's perfectly reasonable to do what you're doing and sort of make the exception that you can kind of write off those eight games with the knowledge that, you know, over 162, that smooths out. Exactly. And the other team that they're, the only team that they're even really competing against this, you know, they're not actually looking at the, the two wild card positions that we've come to, to, to get used to for how the playoff system works. They're just looking at the Astros. And if you're looking at Mariners versus Astros, who is a more worthy playoff contender, uh, the Astros are four and thirteen against teams above 500, 19 and 11 um, against teams below five hundred. So cleaning up against bad teams. The Mariners are just four and seven against teams above five hundred, uh, and seventeen and eighteen um, against teams below five hundred. So you know, there's not there's not a ton there that would tell you, oh, the Mariners are better than the Astros. But mm-hmm. you know, the Mariners have just as many wins against good teams as as the Astros do, and have actually fared better against them. Um, so it's, you know, it, it really is, it's not, it's not a normal thing, this, this playoff race. So you kind of, you don't really have to even look at it normally. It's just, are the Mariners better than the Astros? It's debatable at this point. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, you listen, you look at the Astros, they're losing Springer this year. Uh, Verlander, who knows if he's ever going to be even a, a fraction of what he used to be. I mean, I saw, uh, I saw a statistic, uh, last night that last year, Verlander and Cole were responsible for starting like something like 43% of, of uh, the Astros games. Um, and this year, no Cole, obviously he's a Yankee. Verlander is started one game before he got hurt. You're looking at basically having to replace 40% of, 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 a, of two guys who are hall of famers. So, so what what's happening in Houston right now is is definitely trending the wrong way. They, granted, they still have stars, they still have Bregman, Correa, but Altuve is starting to show his age. Reddick's getting old. Brantley's a free agent. So, so there's there's, you know, the, it's so funny because I remember me and you were on this podcast about a year and a half ago when uh, Jordan Alvarez came up, mm-hmm. and we said, God, how in the hell are the Mariners ever going to catch the Astros? They're so good. It looks like they have no end to like these young star prospects they keep bringing up. But now you look at it, the Astros farm system is ranked anywhere from 25 to 30 in the major leagues. And the talent on the MLB team is starting to dissipate. So, so there's real opportunity and window here that's coming. And I think the Mariners did, did uh, 
forecast correctly when they said, I think we'll be coming up when they're going down. Yeah, and, and the 40% number that you had with Verlander and Cole there is obviously important, but uh, I think the more important percentage is, is 100% of um, of a trash can, and losing that is obviously <laughs> yeah, that also, detrimental yeah. to a team. Um, but yeah, I think that to, to, to kind of put a bow on this playoff conversation, the you know should the M's make a playoff push? Uh, are the M's playoff worthy? Those questions are not as important or as interesting to me as who would you rather be right now, the the Mariners or any other team other than maybe the A's in the division for the next five years? And like you said, sneakily, and it happened kind of quickly. I think the Mariners became the clear favorites um, as like the future power rankings in the division. Which is oh yeah, absolutely. I, I would even go. I would even go a step above. I mean, this might be my homer showing, but what are the A's going to do? They're going to trade Chapman. They're not right. going to re-sign Simeon. You know why? Why would you ever have? I mean, granted, they're a factory when it comes to to cranking out prospects, but still, that they 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 do this thing where you know they compete for a couple of years. These guys get too expensive. They trade them off, and then they'll reset. You know, so the A's are never going to be a perennial powerhouse just because they can never pay the guys, and that's just a sad fact of baseball in Oakland. Mm. Let's, uh, as we're talking about the future, let's talk about a big part of that, and that would be young Jared Kelenic, uh, who we have not seen in a Mariners uniform this year. We have not even really seen uh, in any uniform this year, unless you have checked out some some grainy footage of the uh, the alternate site down in Tacoma. Yeah, it's like a Zap Ruder film. <laughs> uh, but Jared Kelenic still made headlines this week because he uh, was a little naughty, Phil. He, he kind of... Yeah stepped out of side of his lane and that's just a baseball thing this is a very you know we're, we're young people jared's much younger than us uh we do this often we ruffle feathers we we attack management in ways that management was never prepared for but jared Kellenick posted a, a a picture on twitter and on instagram um making some kind of weird face i think you and i should take turns trying to recreate the jared Kellenick picture um and also <laughs> yeah <laughs> and also uh, included the caption just SMH, which, of course, for my dad, uh, who's listening to this, doesn't know what that means. That means shaking my head. Uh, can you explain what Jared Kelenic was subtweeting about uh, with this? Well, he's mad he's not on the Mariners. And I think you look at – I mean, that's just putting it simply. Yeah. I'll get into, like, the the sort of nitty-gritty of it. And you look from his perspective. I'll, I'll try and be – uh, you know, fair to him because obviously I don't think what he's saying has any sort of basis in reality, but I'll try and give his perspective. The Mariners are a game and a half out of the playoffs. And on most nights, their outfield consists of Kyle Lewis and two guys who should not be on major league rosters, Philip Irvin, uh, or, you know, I don't even know who else Marmaleos who's, uh, you know, he's shown he's a good hitter, but he's not a outfielder, not even by, the most liberal stretch of that definition. So, so he's looking at that and he's saying, wow, if this team actually cared about winning and they cared about making the playoffs, I should be on the team right now. And I think there, there's a little bit of validity to that. Like if the Mariners were truly focused on trying to make the playoffs this year and they did not care about what was going to happen five years from now, six years from now, when these guys hit free agency, Logan Gilbert would have been on the mound instead of Jimmy Yacobonis and Kelnick would have been starting in left field that day. But the thing is that we do have to care about six years from now. And for the Mariners to burn a year of Kalanick, actually almost two years, because if they keep him down, if they play the service time game next year, which I'm, I do not advocate for, I think that's a terrible thing to do. But if they do do that, we're talking about two years, whereas every game this year now counts for 2.7 days worth of service time because it's a condensed season. So, giving Kelnick a cup of coffee in a normal season would have been totally fine. But now if he plays 20 games, you're basically talking about burning a year of his service time, which is again, not totally fine in a very silly season. And I think that's the, right. That's the key part of this is that if, if all things were true and the Mariners were still a game and a half back and we had a lot more information on how good this team really was instead of just, you know, 46 games, which is less than a third of a normal season, uh, then maybe you can make a decision and then, in a normal season, you'd also see uh, maybe Kellenic is hitting 360 in AAA, and it's like, okay, right? You know, this this is an immediate asset. Uh, let's let's just go forward with it. None of that is true. I'm with you on this. This is pretty cut and dry to me. Um, it is it is shitty. It's something that's well documented with the Chris Bryant case uh, with with Theo Epstein and the Cubs. How uh, the Cubs basically held Bryant out as long as humanly possible, 
um, kept him out of the first, I think, 18 games of the 2016 season, maybe 2015 season, uh, in an effort to, you know, get six full years with him um, at the major league club. And that's what the Mariners, for all intents and purposes, are going to try and do with Kellenic. You totally get it from the Mariners' perspective. You're the Mariners. You don't get guys like this often. You want to maximize your time with with an elite prospect. Um, but you can also kind of understand what Kellenic is talking about. This is his opportunity. There's no cost to him pointing out that this is a really silly rule. Um, that you know he is obviously a, a player that the Mariners should be under normal circumstances taking a look at right now but yeah i mean again if if baseball were simply just about putting the best 25 guys on the field kelenic would be on the field right now but that's just that's just not the way the game works that's not the way money works in sports that's not the way anything works and i think to you know sort of cast your employer being the seattle mariners maybe this is just the management in me talking but to sort of publicly lambast your employer for something they really aren't doing differently from any other team in the major leagues. Any other team that had this exact situation would do the exact same thing. And if they didn't, they should probably be fired. Um, it's, it's just sort of silly to me uh, why he would do something like that in such a public manner. But again, he's 20, what, 21 years old. He's a kid. He, he's going to do what he's going to do. And he's bored. Let's, let's keep that in mind. Too. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there, he doesn't have a triple A team that he's hanging out with and playing with and, and stuff to really focus on. I mean, the minor league site, we don't really have a ton of intel into what his days are like. Um, but, you know, someone someone gives you the idea that, you know, it is pretty fucked up that, that you know, you're down here when you could be helping that team, watching Jose Marmaleos in, in left field, uh, and, and then you do it. And, and, you know, kids make mistakes, and I'm, I'm willing to, to put that on out there or, or, or give him the benefit of the doubt here. Are you worried that there's any sort of, you know, six years down the road, uh, Jared Kellenick's impending free agency, that something like this would stick? I mean, uh, I'm, I'm thinking – uh, in in basketball terms, the the Gordon Hayward um, restricted free agency yeah. situation with with the Jazz comes to mind, where uh, the Jazz essentially let Hayward hit restricted free agency, where he had to you know sign a contract with the Hornets before the the Jazz actually um, you know expressed interest in re-signing him, putting him and his family through you know nothing actually serious, but kind of an annoyance, and then that was kind of posed as that was why, or part of the reason why Hayward was able to leave Utah is because they had done him a little dirty uh, a few years prior to that. Well, you use the Chris Bryant example, and I'll use that again. I mean, seven years later, six years later, whatever it is, there's still hard feelings from the Chris Bryant camp towards the Cubs, and we'll see how that plays out on uh, the free agent market. I think he's either slated to be a free agent this year or next year. I can't remember off the top of my head, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see what happens there, but I know that that sentiment has not just magically disappeared. But that is different. That was such a more egregious situation to bring him up the day after they that the the day the day they were allowed to bring him up to preserve a year of his service time was the exact day they brought him up. It was just very much more obvious, and that's why. Uh, and it was also much more public. Uh, um, Chris Bryant filed a grievance against the Cubs for doing such a thing. And then they had to go to, uh, you know, court, basically. They had to go to an arbitrator to settle the dispute. So it was just a much more contentious situation. This with Kelnick, he has no case. He should not even bother bringing this up to an arbitrator. They'd laugh him out the building. There's no case. So I don't think this is something that's going to linger for a long time. Maybe lingers for another three months while he's like, yeah, that was shitty that they did that. But as soon as he, you know, taste the big league field in spring training next year and he has an actual legitimate shot to break camp with the team i think all that that will go away is my 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 feeling yeah i uh i'm with you um it's 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 at the end of the day both sides are kind of wedged in between the rule right the rule is a very or the system is a really stupid weird system um that the mariners are using to, to their favor to protect their, their long-term interests. And, you know, Kellenic is, is against the, is on the other side of that. And that's right. It's, it's just how it's playing out. You know, it's, it's, there's, I mean, it's, you know, what this reminds me of is like arbitration in baseball. It's the weirdest fucking thing, right? Because like teams have, are, are constantly going out to the media and saying, this guy is so valuable. 
we couldn't be in this position. We could like, you look at the Trevor Brower arbitration. We couldn't be in the position that we would be without him. And he's a cornerstone of our franchise. And then the second they get to arbitration, they're actively negotiating against their player and why their player is not worth money as much money as they think they are. So it's, it's a really weird money system that the, the major league baseball has. And maybe some of that will get ironed out in the next CBA. Maybe it won't. Maybe there'll still be anger. To, but I would say this of all the sports. And again, I don't keep my finger too hard on the, the basketball or the football or the hockey or anything like that. But it just seems to me like there is more contention between labor and management in baseball than there is in any other sport. Uh, pro basketball's got got a a, a a hand to raise there. Just just because what you see with Kellenic is more common in the sense that players are able to kind of voice their opinion and all of a sudden change uh, how management has to act. You know, an Eric Blake right. tweet can force a trade. Um, and, and that's kind of basketball has so few players and there's just more power um, in, in the players' hands in, in that regard. But yeah, baseball is, I think, you know, the, the Chris Bryant case is really one of the first times where all of these things came to the public. You know, this is a rule that's been in since the last CBA, uh, but, you know, hasn't really been in the public sphere until all of that happened. And now it's more common. It happened to Vladimir Jr., right. Tatis. You know, it's, it's just it's something we're going to see uh, until they change the rule. The, the, common, uh, the common thing for uh, uh, the GMs to say to save face is, oh, we're keeping him down to work on his defense. And that's, right. that's such like a cop-out because – you know, offense is really easily quantifiable. Like you can see what a guy is doing in AAA. You can look at his WRC plus, you can look at his slash lines. You can look at how hard he's hitting the ball. Those are like statistics you can't really argue with. Defense is still a little bit more nebulous. You know, it's still like, oh, maybe they see something that the metrics aren't capturing. So like that's the, always the cop out for the GMs to go to is like, we're, we're keeping him down to work on his defense. They should tell Kellen I could be like, yeah, we just don't think he can bench enough. And then just, yeah, you need to get way bigger, yeah. way more swole. Just, just see how he, uh, he responds. We should talk about uh, Gerald Kellenek's, um busting through his shirtness um, at, a, at a later date. That's that's kind of, a, I think, a, a fun conversation for, for Mariners conversations next year probably. Of, uh, yeah. Is, is Jared Kellenek too swole? Uh, but that's, not, that's a good off-season podcast. Absolutely. Um, it's a it's a conversation that I've had to deal with my whole life. You know, am I too swole? And um, you know, I, I can empathize. I would I would venture to say you're getting there. Yeah, I mean, you, there's there's a reason you chose to to do a Skype phone call instead of a video call. It's because you know, looking I was at too how, intimidated. How huge my shoulders are kind of hurt your confidence a little bit, but I understand. Uh, anyways, let's <laughs> talk about Dylan Moore. Uh, we talked about him earlier. Alluded to him earlier. We wanted to talk about him a couple weeks ago when we were supposed to pod, but uh, didn't get the chance to. Dylan Moore has a WRC plus over this year of a buck thirty-eight. He's eighty-eighth percentile in Major League Baseball in terms of barrels contact uh, with the barrel of the bat on on pitches, hitting the ball hard, uh, very effective. Got eleven steals as well. Has been very active on on the base paths. Uh, this might just be Austin Nola two point in terms of, of a guy the Mariners found uh, under a pile of trash and have turned him into maybe a really good major league player. Yeah. So, you know, when I listen to the wheelhouse, I always sort of try and take the Jerry talk out of it. You know, this, the whole, he's very optimistic. Let's just put it that way. Let's give him the benefit of that out and just say he's an optimistic guy, but I always try and glean these little nuggets of truth from what he lets slip about, um, and and granted, and I want to give credit here to Goldsmith because this was a good question. He asked uh, Jerry about sample sizes in this kind of short season and when can we start knowing if what we're seeing from Dylan Moore is real. And I don't think Jerry knows the answer to that. I don't think Jerry is like a really good statistician in his own right, but I think he has probably gotten the intel from the analytics guys that what we're seeing as he likes to call it under the hood, meaning the sort of metrics that you don't see on root sports, like batting average and stuff like that. The, the more obscure metrics, the under the hood stuff, how hard he's hitting the ball, where he's making contact with the ball, what pitches he's swinging at, what pitches he's laying off of all those things under the hood. Those things tend to stabilize a little bit more quickly than say your slugging percentage. 
those things, you know, you can take a 60 game sample and make a good, strong assessment off of those things. And what Jerry said is he thinks we're there with Dylan Moore. He thinks that this breakout is legit. He thinks that the underlying metrics are so good that he would be, you know, if I'm reading between the lines, the underlying metrics are good enough to the point where we, we really can reasonably expect this to be the sort of Dylan Moore that we can have going forward. And if that's the case, you're looking at like a two and a half, three, three and a half win player again, which getting that basically, like you said, turning over a rock is unbelievable, unbelievable value. So the question becomes, what do you do with Dylan Moore? Um, this is a guy that the Mariners weren't really carving out a position for necessarily. You know, the Shedlong's position was was second. Um, you know, you had Kyle Seager at third. Short is, is J.P. Crawford's corner outfielders are, are seeming to fill up um, more and more. You know, with the Taylor Trammell trade, uh, first base is Evan White's, but Dylan Moore can play all those positions. Is he just right. super super utility and and trade chip or or do you see him yeah i mean i i think you look at a guy like ben zobrist i think that's a beautiful comp for dylan moore that when he was with the rays another guy like that is matt joyce guys who just will get in the lineup every single day but they won't ever be playing the same position twice two days back to back you know what i mean he'll be one of those guys who spells guys here and there He'll maybe play the bulk of his games at third base if Seager starts to show a decline or if J.P. Crawford doesn't stick for whatever reason, he can easily become the everyday shortstop. But if all that goes really well, worst case scenario, you can still get Dylan Moore into the lineup every single day just because that versatility is such a value. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and injuries happen, and, and having a guy like that on the roster is is ultimately valuable. And the, the thing about Zobrist, and I think that's an awesome, awesome comp, Zobrist is, was both an awesome utility player for the Rays, and then look what happened. The Chicago Cubs found themselves in the best chance that they've had to win a World Series in a century, uh, and they pushed the chips in to get a guy like that. And so exactly. you either you know have this, this valuable thing on your roster and, and see that through and, and to, into the postseason, or uh, you present value to that organization and, and you know uh, get something for it. And that's exactly what the Padres just did with Austin Nola. So Exactly. And Nola, you look at Nola, he's another example of a guy who can play all over the diamond. Granted, he has the most value at catcher. Mm -hmm. But if once they bring up uh, Campusano, their, you know, their stud catcher, I think that's his name. Yeah, Campusano. You know, you can still get Austin Nola into the lineup every day if you really love his bat. So the versatility thing here is so huge for teams. And that's why you're seeing baseball, just like basketball, is becoming more of a positionless thing because they just have realized – I want to get my nine best guys out there every single day. I don't really care where I put them as long as they're athletic enough and versatile enough to at least capably handle every position. You know, it would be a good way to get your nine best players out, at least hitting. How's that? DH rule. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Hasn't it been a joy to watch this year? Like, I could not imagine having to play all those NL games with no DH. That would suck so bad. I can't believe – if I was a fan of an NL baseball team, I would switch over to the AL. Like the DH is just so much more fun to watch. I don't, and, and the thing is, is like, I haven't even noticed once people, you know, pro DH or pro pro pitcher hitting people, you know, pounding the the table, saying, you know, we need this back. It's so much no, fun. it sucks. Why do you want to give up an automatic out? Like it's the stupidest friggin' thing I've ever seen in my life. I, I, I just it's it's beyond absurd that there's anybody who is a fan of pitchers hitting it is a gross thing like what is the point of putting a guy out there first of all pitcher eras in the nl are always deflated because you know you come up bases loaded in the second inning with you know a pitcher coming up in two outs you're gonna get out of the inning no harm no foul it's like it gives the pitcher an easy out i i just don't understand it yeah the rule was made for for back when you know players were not that talented and, and pitchers were your best players and you had to get the bat in their hands too. Um, and that's right. absolutely not the case now because we specialize and things are better for it. Uh, but we, we've, we've covered that. I don't remember which podcast, but we've, we've, blessed yeah, we've covered it. The, uh, the DH rule, I think at some point last year, you know, real quick, what are your thoughts on the runner at second rule uh, to start extra innings? <sighs> I appreciate efforts to move things along i think that 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 this this year has different connotations than other years because it's a pandemic and you don't want 13 inning games uh, right for no reason to wasting arms when, when there's not a lot of time to mess around with that 
Um, I, I get that. I think I think maybe go one step back, 11th inning, 12th inning, as just a way right. to end things. But it's, it's, it's baseball trying, which I think is ultimately a good thing. Yeah, I mean, if, if they do eventually make this permanent, and I think they might, I'm not going to – I mean, I, I don't love it, but I'm not gonna, it's not going to be like a game runer type of thing for me. I, I'll, I'll, I'll learn to adjust and live with it. I think I need to see it play out in a postseason. Is, is it postseason this year? No, they're, they're, they're not they're, – they're, it's just the regular season. They're not doing it in see, the playoffs. I think that helps a lot because that's, that's one of the, the truly great moments that baseball has is, is extra innings in the postseason. Like that, right. That is when the sport feels the, the strongest and most powerful and like can really grip your soul. Right. I mean, high leverage in baseball is unlike high leverage in any other sport. There is no sport because it lasts so long. Not in terms of like, it lasts long in terms of total time elapsed. Maybe the game action is about the same as everything else. But like having runners on second and third and one out in the bottom of the 12th inning in a tie game and the pitcher, you know, looking in and taking the sign, it lasts like three minutes. And that is a the longest three minutes of your life. That tension that builds up is baseball's greatest strength. And it's funny because in most other scenarios, that's baseball's greatest weakness is waiting around three minutes for the pitcher to get his signs. You know, I think I think it's just it's like the Joe Buck effect. It's just like you, you make you you put Joe Buck on a game, you put it on that really nice HD Fox broadcast, and all of a sudden it feels and sounds amazing, and it's so much easier. right. Like your your local RSN um, handling games, you know, no no, yeah, no. disrespect to root, but um, it just has a different effect once once it's that that kind of postseason. Um, you know, whipped cream that, that Fox puts on things with, with, right. with their team. Um, let's uh, let's have you talk about around the league here. I have nothing for this. I could probably comment based off of what I uh, have perceived throughout the the league myself. But you wanted to, to, to discuss this, so this you know this is this is you. There's no ISO in baseball, but um, yeah, I'm I'm I'm, and, I'm know, getting the hell out of the post because I know that's like where you like to work. What. Well, I do love to work in the post, but the the thing I really wanted to talk about, and actually it's funny, as we are uh, doing this podcast, I got a notification about the Rangers talking about how they're going to go young in 2021. And it's just like, why, what, what, what changed in the last two weeks? Why, why, what's with the change of heart? It seemed like you weren't about to go young two weeks ago when you really should have. But um, either way, that's besides the point. Um, AL Central. That's a good division, and that's going to be a good division for a while. I'm worried about those teams. The Tigers are coming up. The White Sox are already there. The Twins are very good. The Indians are a pitching factory. And the Royals, I mean, I don't know. But they're, they're, that is a division that could put three teams in the playoffs consistently for the next, God, five, six years. I, I am in love with the way – that baseball in the AL central is trending. It's probably the most exciting division in sports because you have a dichotomy between the twins and the Indians. The Indians are a pitching team. They don't really hit, but they have just this amazing stable of pitchers. But then you have the white Sox, who maybe don't have the best rotation, but they are masters one through nine in the lineup. Everyone can get on base. Everyone can hit for pop. It's, it's just like a joy to watch. And, you know, realistically, I hate to say it, but, I don't know if Kyle Lewis is going to win rookie of the year this year because uh, Luis Robert in his own right is every bit as deserving. So that those two teams, and then you have teams like the Tigers with Casey Mize and Tariq Skubal and all these young pitchers coming through. It's a really fun division to watch right now. And I think if I was just a casual baseball fan and just a Mariners fan, like I know a lot of people who listen are, I would really say if there's one division to get yourself invested in, It'd be the AL Central. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And, and the, the the Indians, um, you know, I think it won't be very long before we will be saying the Indians. Uh, yeah, yeah. But um, they obviously have probably the most major league talent as it is right now. Um, but this is also the team that probably will find themselves in a Mookie Betts situation, uh, like the Red Sox did, where they'll be trading Francisco Lindor. Uh, right uh, for for you know future value because they just can't or don't think they can afford uh, Lindor and that's, that's kind of unfortunate um, for Cleveland fans but um, is is kind of the reality and so that was my first thought is uh, those are all 
up-and-coming teams. The Twins, I think, have been fantastic in terms of the way that they've um, really been innovative about pitching, and obviously they've just mashed. Uh, and the way they've gotten more out of Nelson Cruz, although I think you know Nelson Cruz is a self-powered engine. He doesn't he doesn't need a, a, a good organization and, to help him. And I just want to I want to bring up one thing about the Twins. Byron, and this is something that the Mariners fans need to remember whenever we talk about prospects, Byron Buxton was a bust. He was really bad for his first two full years in the major leagues. And now you see what he's doing once he's gotten comfortable and once he's gotten every day at bats and reps. He's one of the best 30 players in the baseball this year. So we need to give these guys even I, I know I'm quick to say, oh, shed long. He's done. But sometimes these guys just need some time to make adjustments. And it really, I know it's frustrating because we want everything now, now, now. But sometimes it just does take guys a little while longer to come around. And I don't think we should give up on guys like Shed Long or J.P. Crawford. Look at what the Phillies did to J.P. Crawford. I bet they're kicking themselves now just because they take a little while longer to develop and mature. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. I thought you were going to say that, you know, like Buxton, I think was 1-1, right? Yeah, Yeah, he was. He was. 1-2 in in, uh, in – the 2012 draft but um you know for a while was was titled first of all i I need to digress a little bit byron buxton another member of the prestigious double b club brennan brennan bobby bonilla barry bonds bobby bonds you know uh, we can go on and on with this (laughs) yeah 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 stack but um has not really i mean he's he's great like he he finds himself right now as a a functional um starting quality fringe arts all-star type player right that's a good thing. You, like, like, you want a lot of those players. And so when expectations are that this guy's going to set the league on fire and be an AL MVP every year, um, and if that doesn't happen, that doesn't mean that it was a complete failure. You just have to make up for the lack of success you got from that player in other ways. And that's, that's I think, what's so nice about the Mariners system is that there are insurance policies everywhere exactly. uh, to develop talent in ways that, you know, if, if Kellenic is just an okay, uh, you know, starter level player. And that's the thing I want to be clear about with Buxton. He was the number one overall prospect for a long time, and he is a good player now. He's a good player, but he is by no means a superstar, right? And I think if you're just banking on Kellenic and Julio and all these guys becoming superstars, and there's no way they're not going to be you're really setting yourself up for some, some disappointment. Yeah, that is, that is for sure. But uh, one of them has to be right. <laughs> but between yeah, we would and... certainly hope so. Yeah. But finding a, finding a superstar in baseball is really, really freaking hard. It's not, it's not like, I don't know, maybe the NBA, I, I don't really follow, but like usually from what I know about the NBA, if you're drafting one, one overall, you're, you're most likely getting a franchise player, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> In baseball, if you're drafting 1-1 overall, you get either Tim Beckham or, you you know, he was 1-1 overall. You can get Chris Bryant, who's a good player. You can get uh, you can get Carlos Correa, who's a really good player. But then you, you have guys like Mookie Betts who go in the fifth round. There's just so much more variability in the baseball draft than there is in any other sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the fact that the Mariners uh, had, you know, won, won one twice and got A-Rod and Griffey is – insane also yeah you know, that doesn't happen the fact that they didn't convert that into much of anything is also a different story but um that can be well documented at the uh the Mar- mariners dorktown series on on youtube if mm-hmm. you can, uh see just how that was squandered but uh let's let's get out of here let's let's talk about uh who, you know who's who's going for an eric burton's bike ride this week uh mine is uh wildfires Smoke? I, no, you took mine. That was mine. But anyway, if, if this podcast existed in, in 2014, in, in, in a like real sense, real we sense. might be talking about Justin Smoke in this sense. But yeah, no, I'm just talking about good old fashioned S M O K E here. Um, I'm I'm not in Washington, but um, it sucks. It really sucks to to see people have to worry about things like is my house on fire? Is it safe to breathe? Um, every single year, basically since I've left in 2015, that this is this is what we deal with. Yeah, and I just I want to bring this to this is this is sort of a selfish thing, but I want to bring it to restaurants. I read an article today about how so many restaurants are just shutting down now because they they uh I mean maybe not permanently, maybe some of them are just calling it quits. Maybe this was the straw that broke the camel's back, 
but a lot of restaurants are shutting down just because, you know, people don't feel safe to eat inside. People don't feel safe to eat outside. It's, it's just a really hard time right now. Yeah. And, and it's, it's tough to see inaction and action that's counterproductive happen in between the, the 12 months between when this will probably happen again next year. Right. Right. I mean, it's, and, and unfortunately I don't think there's an easy fix to this, not to get political, but as you know, the climate keeps changing and things keep happening. I, I think we're in for a lot more of these types of uh, weeks, unfortunately. Yeah, it is true. Uh, any other bike ride candidates? That was mine. You took it. Yeah. Uh, I'll let you go first for the hydro then. Well, how about uh, Kyle Lewis yesterday? I think that was probably the best 14 innings by a Mariners baseball player I've ever seen. Yeah, that was, that was quite nice. The, uh, the, I think the two, like the, the axe, right. The, 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 the home run save in center was, was really, really nice. And, and we've talked about this word with Kyle as just effortless. Like it, that looks so yeah. easy for him to, to get up and do that. Um, I mean, it was amazing. I mean, I've never seen a guy jump that high to rob a baseball. Yeah, I, exactly. I mean, if that was Ichiro, he would have to like literally get on so much scale the wall. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then the, the four pitch walk that he drew, to, to get the home run, get, yeah, the double, home, you know, everything about yesterday, it all just worked for him. To me, the most fun part of that was his excitement. Get, see, seeing that center field home run rob and he's spanking himself as he's running back to. Yeah, it was great. I mean, it's a guy. And for, for me, that just is a guy who loves baseball. And, you know, you can say all you want about, you know, the war and slugging percentage and exit velocities and we do we love to talk about those things but those things only matter if a guy loves the game and wants to get better at improving those things you know what i mean if you have a guy who couldn't give a shit about playing baseball and he's just there because he was pretty good at it when he was a kid and then he got better and better and better and he doesn't really care anymore and we've seen that all the time you're never going to get a really great player out of that you have to have a guy who really genuinely loves the game and wants to work at it and that's the same guy that, that worked himself out of the, the gruesome leg injury a few years ago to, to get to the point where he is now. So, yeah, Kyle, exactly. Kyle Lewis is awesome. We'll, we'll continue to be awesome. And, and uh, you know, despite our, our misgivings about him at the beginning of the year, um, I'm quite glad that he's a part of the Mariners' future for a lot of reasons. Me too. Me too. And I think there's been a lot of improvement even in 60 games this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, my Yellow Hydra went to Justin Hollander, who is the uh, the mm. Mariners' uh, assistant GM. He was you you talked about well, indirectly talked about him a few uh, minutes ago when you're talking about the Mariners' success in minor league free agency um, a couple years back when they got Dylan Moore, they got Austin Nola, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Hollander was kind of the guy behind that. He seems to be uh, poised to not be a Mariner for very long. I would imagine. Yeah. That uh, you know, based off of how this front office has been um, doing really smart things for a long time and him being uh, integral to that, that he will be someone else's GM maybe as soon as like next year or the year after. Um, and so, yeah, it, but the, the real reason I had Hollander is because he was on the effectively wild podcast. Uh, another reason I don't think he'll be uh, the Mariners GM or assistant GM for very long because him doing stuff like that uh, helps show, other teams, you know, how he handles the media, how he handles questions, right. insight into things. So uh, Hollander is doing a great job. He's an awesome listen, but um, might be a long, might not be a Mariner for a long time. And that's okay. We'll get, you know, totally. that happens to good teams and good teams always find a way. Yes. Uh, and then my other yellow hydro is uh, seven inning games. No, no, I decline. I decline to accept that one. You don't want to be put put your name on on this podcast. Uh, they, they are a nice change of pace. I will say that. Um, I any more more baseball is always good baseball to me. So cutting the games is not fun. It is. It was kind of weird. Like the 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 Kyle Lewis walk. Like I was like, oh yeah. I mean that, that's important. But I was like, oh shit. Yeah, this is the game. Yeah. The game Basically, it's the bottom of the eighth exactly. now instead of yeah. 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 My mindset was was not quite ready for that. Um, but. I do like them as a change of pace. You know, it's it's ordering a salad at lunch sometimes. It, it can be it can be nice. Yeah, give me the pasta at lunch every single day. <laughs> uh, on brand. Uh, beginning and ending with pasta. How about that? Yeah, there you go. How about that? Um, smoky, smoky pasta. Um, 
All right, sir. This was this is fun. Hopefully, my audio shows up uh, after mm-hmm. after the fact. But uh, hey, if not, they can just listen to me. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That'd be a fun podcast. Is just your audio <laughs> with long breaks in between. <laughs> yeah. Uh, beautiful. Uh, All right, buddy. We'll, we'll we'll keep touch about or keep in touch about recreating the Jared Kellenic photo, um, and other things. But I I can't. And we have to do the Scott uh, Scott Spezio tattoo for uh, Halloween. Yes. Uh, our our indoor Halloween this year. Yeah. All right, man. Exactly an hour. Well done. Uh, we'll see All you right. Next week. Take care.